0: Uh, Open your Bibles with me uh, to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Um, Yeah, Um, so I realized something as we were unpacking this last week. Uh, I found a box. It was kind of a smaller box, and I opened that box, and in that box was my old Bible, the one that I thought I had sent off to be repaired. I don't know if y'all remember me me mentioning that. Well, I was like, man, it's getting close to time. It's been about eight weeks. I should have gotten it back by now. No, 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 no. I had put it in a box, and then seeing a box sitting on my desk, I'm assuming the next day, I just put it with all the other boxes that we had been packing. So I'm still using my backup Bible, and hopefully it'll, I'll get my real one back before the school year starts. I was super bummed, but yeah, adventures in my life. All right, everybody there? Everybody got their Bibles open? Okay. Okay. This is Jesus, and he's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master." Also, the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who, had sa- who also had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid... And I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a pick-me-up, huh? It's a good light read. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us. or that your Spirit would, uh, would move in our hearts and our minds. Lord, that you would quicken into life the words that you need us to hear. Lord, you would give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech to communicate what you've put on my heart. Jesus, we love you. We give you permission, Lord, to do what you will in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this Bible verse, right, this this parable is one of my favorite parables in the Bible. And uh, that's because it, it actually has a lot in there. Right? It's actually really dense. There's a whole lot of principles you can pull out. But we're only going to look at a few of them. And uh, we're going to kind of take a, a right angle at this thing. And we're going to look at two examples from the Bible that I think will actually illuminate this parable a bit more. Okay? So the first person we're going to talk about, and then after that we'll get back to the, we'll get back to the parable, I promise. Okay? I know you all were worried about that, right? Okay. So the first person we're going to talk about is the pharaoh. Okay? You may know him from Egypt. He's... That was a joke. You can laugh. It's okay. Um, he's, he's the pharaoh from the Exodus story. Man. Right? He's, he's the pharaoh from the Exodus story. Right? So basically, if you open up the book of Exodus, you'll read about him. We all know that story. We've seen Prince of Egypt. Right? Um, my daughter can probably sing you all the songs from that movie if you like. Um, they may not be in key, but she can sing them. Um, right? So, the Bible has a lot to say about Pharaoh, but I think one of the most important things that it has to say about Pharaoh is actually in the book of Romans, right? Romans chapter 9, verse 19, Paul is writing, and he says this, For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Right? It's pretty interesting, right? Because we have this idea of, of Pharaoh in our minds, From the Exodus story, right? We see this phrase that keeps on being repeated, like his heart was hardened and stuff like that. There's a whole lot of Hebrew grammar you can get into with that that no one cares about, except for like nerds. If you're a nerd, we'll talk later, right? I Don't want to bore everyone else, right? But the important thing here is that in this verse, in Romans 9, right, is that it makes no statement about the eternal destination of Pharaoh. Have you noticed that? It says nothing about where he's going and says everything about what his purpose is, right? And it says, like, his purpose was that God might display his power in him, that God's name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That was his purpose. That was the reason that Pharaoh was created. That's why he existed on the planet, is that God could display his power and proclaim his name, right? Pharaoh had a lot going for him right? So, I don't know how much you'll know about Egypt, okay? But I, I majored in history. I'm a nerd about this stuff. I'm sorry, right? So, Egypt at that time was the leading culture on the planet, okay? It was like the biggest, baddest, most awesome place you could live, okay? They were the leaders in science, in geometry, and in culture, right? Do you know they invented geometry before they even had numbers? Isn't that crazy, right? The The Great Pyramids in Giza were built at the same time that Mastodon were still living in Siberia. You understand how advanced they were, right? So like Jesus was born closer in time to the iPhone than he was born closer in time to the pyramids. Right? Isn't that crazy? That's how advanced they were. In any one side of the Great Pyramid, right, you measure all the sides, they are all within six feet of each other. Six feet. That, that's an incredible, like, accuracy. They didn't have numbers. Do you know how they wrote numbers? They drew a falcon on a wall or something. Like, what? like have you seen hieroglyphs? That's how they did their math. Like, I can do, barely do math with numbers, right? Could you imagine doing math with pictures? Anyway, so they were incredibly advanced, right? On top of that, Pharaoh, in his culture, was considered a living god, Right? They believed that Pharaoh was like Ra, the sun god, incarnate. So not only did he have the privilege of living in one of the most powerful nations, one of the most technologically and scientifically advanced nations, but he was also the most important guy in their whole culture. Right? He was born with so much going for him. He was given that as a gift. Right? He didn't earn any of that, it was just given. And so, he was given so much and put in this incredibly unique and opportune place in time and space, right, that the Lord might display his power and proclaim his name. Now, we all know the story, right? What happens with Pharaoh is he refuses to use his position and use his person to benefit God and his kingdom, right? He stands opposed to God and then drowns in the Nile, all that stuff, right? We, we know that story. If you don't, ask somebody that, that brought you. Uh, side note, when, when I first got saved, I legitimately had Noah and Moses confused. Like, I, I didn't know the difference. And so when they're like, and then Noah built a boat. I'm like, why? He could split the sea. I don't get it, you know? Anyway, right? Uh, but so imagine with me here, what if Pharaoh had used all those gifts... That God had given him. What if Pharaoh had used those for the benefit of God's kingdom? Right? As a historian, like, I never want to get into speculative history. Right? Like, they, they make TV shows about that stuff. But it's not, like, usually a good exercise. It's usually fruitless. But in this case, I think it's good to think about. Could you imagine how different the course of human history would be if Pharaoh had repented? What if Pharaoh had given his life to Jesus. What if instead of standing opposed to Moses, he sat at the feet of Moses and learned the law of God? We would have Egyptologists, we would have archaeologists digging up tablets and songs in Egyptian hieroglyphs written about Jesus. Right? Instead of having pyramids that are monoliths to selfish ambition and vain conceit, we would have them built in the glory of our Father in heaven. How crazy different would all of that history of Egypt be if the most powerful country in the world had turned and converted? Right? That would have influenced all of human history. There were only like three main cultures at that time anyway. So like a third of the global population would be walking with God. Wouldn't that be amazing? Right? But no, because of Pharaoh's position, because he viewed himself as a god, right? He didn't want to say like that The God of his slaves had overcome him, so his pride stood in his way. He wouldn't bow. So Romans 11.29 says that God's gifts are without repentance, right? Or if you go with that translation, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, right? Those are big, fancy words. What it means is that God gives you your gift and your calling, and he never asks for it back. He just gives it to you and let you have it, right? And, uh, you know, it's funny, like, we all have gifts. God has entrusted with us, all of us, something, right? Gifts and callings. And if you're like me, you never really value the ones that you have. You know what I mean? Because they've just kind of always been there. Like, you didn't earn them, just like Pharaoh didn't earn being Pharaoh. He just was, right? So a lot of us have these gifts that we just don't value, right? So, like, a great example, like, we, we don't value the gifts we have, but then we'll see a gift in someone else and get really jealous. Anybody else do that? So like, okay, my wife, right? She's not in here, so I'll say this. My wife can cook, right? She can flat, smooth cook anybody out of the kitchen, okay? Like, I will challenge your grandma to cook off with my wife, and she'll win. I don't even care, right? I'm sure grandma's sweet and all, but she can't cook like my wife can, okay? Like... I grew up in a house where my mom, like the cooking she did was like fried bologna in the microwave. You know what I mean? I didn't know food was supposed to be good until I got married, right? I remember eating the first bite that my wife cooked me after we got married. And I was like, it's so good. It's so good. You know what I mean? Have you had food like that? I get that every night. It's amazing, right? But she, she didn't think anything of it. You know, she's just like, oh, I just cooked. You know, like Nestor came over the other night and she made some kind of incredible like chicken Alfredo pasta with basil, cream sauce. She was like, oh, I just threw this together in five minutes. You know, like she does, it's just whatever. And you're like, how do you do this? It's just there, right? Like God has given her the gift of hospitality, right? You come into my house, you'll leave fat and happy. I promise you, right? Or like in my family, okay, my, my dad, my grandpa, and my brother, they all have the skill to fix things. You know what I'm talking about? My grandpa built his own house and horse stable with his own two hands. Just him. Wired it with electricity, everything. Built his own house and a horse stable for funsies, right? Like, that, that's just what he did, okay? My dad buys logs, like just a big log, takes it into his garage, and then out comes a table, Like, he just starts with a log, and then out comes a table. And he doesn't use power tools. He's like, I want to act like I'm Amish, you know? And just, like, does it with hand tools. And it's beautiful and amazing, right? My little brother, if you put a computer in front of him, he will make it better. Like, he just waves a magic wand or something, and it just makes it better. Me, you know what my talent is? Nothing, right? Like, I can write a mean history paper, which is great if you're 12, right? I can't do anything. I don't have those gifts and talents. So I always look at other people that can do that. And I'm like jealous. Like, why did it skip me? What's the deal, right? But they have those gifts and God doesn't ask for them back. Isn't that crazy? So even when you're using them in opposition to God, he doesn't demand that you give them back. But, and this is a big but, and you know, not all butts are bad, right? You know, like there's some good butts in the Bible. Y'all know this, right? Like all the earth was evil, but Noah, you yeah, know, that's a good butt, you know? If that butt wasn't there, your butt wouldn't be here. That's for sure. Here's a good butt. Or a scary butt maybe. If anybody like were to walk in right now, they'd be really confused about what's happening. God will never demand that you give him the gifts that he's given you back. But he will use those gifts for his kingdom, regardless of what you intend. He will use those gifts for his kingdom, regardless of what you intend. Look at Pharaoh, right? And let's think through this. Pharaoh teaches us that God can use your gifts and turn them for his benefit, right? Pharaoh's purpose in life was to display God's power and to proclaim his name. It could have been an amazing proclamation, a good one, if Pharaoh had worked with God, but he didn't. So God said, it's all right. I'll still figure out how to get my money's worth out of you, right? I can still use all of your gifts for my glory. And that's how we get the Exodus story we have. Isn't that interesting? But what is possible... What is possible when we do use our gifts for God, right? So, in the parable, Pharaoh would be like somebody that got the five talents, right? He's the guy that got a lot. But there's another guy in the Bible that we can look at that really didn't get a lot, right? And uh, he appears in John chapter 6, verse 9. He's only mentioned really quickly. So, in John 6, we find Jesus, and he's preaching to a, a large crowd that's been traveling with him for a while, and everybody's getting hungry, Right? And he goes to the disciples, and the disciples are like, hey, we should, like, we need to send them away so they can go find some food. And Jesus is like, you feed them. Like, we don't have anything. It would cost so much to do this. And then Andrew walks up, and he's like, hey, I found this kid that has five loaves and two fish. Right? And that's the kid, the fat kid. How do I know he was fat? He had five loaves and two fish. Right? We are living in the most obese time in human history. Like, America is like the fattest people that have ever lived, and you don't see nobody walking around with five loaves of bread and two fish. This kid had to be fat. Secondly, it was the Iron Age. Everyone was starving all the time, and this porker's walking around with a giant basket of food, right? So we know we can infer—that's an academic statement— we can infer that he was fat, okay? I think that's a safe assumption, okay? Second thing we know about him is that he's young because he's referred to as a lad, right? That's all we know. We don't know his name. We don't know where he came from. We don't know his family. We don't know any of that. But we just know that he showed up with food, right? And he didn't have a lot in comparison to the need, 5,000 men in addition to women and children, right? That's a lot of people. That's a huge need. And he only had very little, right? For a sane person, that's like two meals, right? But for him, it might have been like an afternoon snack. I don't know, right? But in the face of a great need, he gave God what he had, and he gave all that he had. And look what God did. He made his meager and small resources just as big and powerful as the resources of Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh would feed 5,000 every day. But when this kid with nothing gave his nothing to God, he became as wealthy as the Pharaoh. Isn't that amazing? So we can look at the results. What happens if even if you're like me and you can't take a giant log and convert it into a dining room set like my father can... Right? You don't have the great talent. Even if you take what you have and give it to God, you can be as rich in giftings as the people that are rich in giftings. Does that make sense? So, whereas Pharaoh shows us what happens when much is given and much is required, the fat kid shows us when one gives themselves to God in reckless abandon, and what happens when you have a radical trust in God. Consider the mustard seed, right? The smallest of all seeds. Yet when you plant it, it becomes one of the biggest plants. So, let's go back to the parable. Sound like fun? Yeah? So, when you look at the surface level of this parable, the parable of the talents, it may look a little bit unfair. You know, one guy gets five, one guy gets two, and some poor guy gets one, right? But, the language is a little bit tricky here. Like, talent, a talent wasn't actually like singing, dancing, or playing piano. A talent was actually a unit of measure, right? And one talent was actually equivalent to about 20 years' wage for a day laborer. So like an average worker at that time would work for 20 years and then get one talent's worth of money. Does that make sense? So that dude that got one I mean, sure, he didn't get five, but he still got 20 years worth of wages. Like, would you right now take 20 years worth of pay for the average American worker, right? That's, that's over half a million dollars, right? I would take that and then not be like, well, he got like a million, you know, like whatever. You get half a million. Shut your mouth, right? So we see that everybody was richly blessed with more than they probably deserved, Right? And the wise servants, they risked it all. It says that the one with five immediately immediately went to start trading. And he went to work and he started using those talents. Right? But why? What motivated them to do so? I believe the answer is there when you look and analyze the interaction with the wicked servant. Right? So we know, we just heard the story, you know, like, the two, the five, the guy with five, the guy with two, they do well, they're blessed, and, and the master's happy for them. But the guy with one, the wicked servant, right, he gets rebuked. And when we look at this rebuke, we can begin to pull out what I really want to get to tonight, okay? The first thing that we need to see is that the wicked servant said that God was cruel, unfair, and selfish, Right? He said, God, I knew that you were a hard man, that you reaped where you didn't sow and you gathered where you didn't spread. Right? He had this idea of who God was that seemed really negative. Which is ironic because somebody just gave him like 20 years worth of wages and he called him a hard man? Okay. So he was kind of ungrateful. But here's, here's what I think. I think that he actually didn't Believe what he said. I don't think he actually thought his master was a hard man, was cruel or unfair or selfish. And you know why? Because of the way he acted. If you really think that somebody is cruel or mean, you're going to do everything you can not to make them angry. Right? If he knew that his master was emphasizing gathering where he didn't reap, right? And all that stuff. Gathering where he didn't sow, rather. Right? If he knew that, then he would have acted in accordance to that. But no, he didn't do that. And we see that in the rebuke. See, he said something that he used to try and justify his own action. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking with me? He was kind of like the people that made that video we watched. Right? He had... A false view of who God was. So here's the deal. What he did is he made up his mind that he was not going to obey his master. And then he invented reasons to justify his decision. He made up his mind that he was not going to obey his master and then made up reasons to justify his decision. And here's what we need to learn from this. Intellectual deception always follows moral rejection. I'll say it again because it's important. Intellectual deception always follows moral rejection. People usually don't actually have intellectual reasons to not follow God. It's always moral. They want to reject God's morality, but then seek ways to justify it. Intellectual deception always follows moral rejection. An example from history is this philosopher named Frederick Nietzsche. Have you all heard of him? Frederick Nietzsche? He's probably the most prominent atheist thinker of the last 200 years. His philosophy of nihilism, in, in his, great, uh, his great writing called Thus Spoke Zarathustra, found, founded the, made the foundation of the philosophy of the Nazi Party in Germany. And the funny thing about Nietzsche is that his grandfather was a preacher and his father was a preacher and he was going to seminary to become a preacher himself. And the story goes that one day he was walking down the street and encountered a prostitute and then he went in and shortly after that he started proclaiming that God was dead. Intellectual deception always follows moral rejection. He rejected the morality of God because he wanted to sleep with a girl And then he made up reasons why he could. We see the same attitude in the wicked servant in the parable of the talents. I've decided I will not do what you want. And now I will make up reasons why it's okay. Basically, Nietzsche, the Pharaoh, the wicked servant, they were all willfully ignorant and apathetic towards God. They were comfortable in their ungratefulness. The problem with them was their hearts. They refused to know God. They refused to even give him a chance, right? And now, they're examples to us. But let me remind you, God never took his gifts back from them. Nietzsche ended his life in an insane asylum, his brain destroyed by syphilis, which is what happens when you sleep with prostitutes, I guess. And at the end of his life, He was only capable of shouting Bible verses in anger. His mother stayed with him until he died, and she said that he would sit up in his bed and scream Bible verses in rage, and then fall back unconscious. And God made an example of him. This is what happens when you walk away from me. See, he'll give you these gifts, and whether you like it or not, he he will use you to further his kingdom. Because for this purpose, he's created you to display his power, and to proclaim his name among the nations. In the parable, the master never demanded the talents back, but he did ask for an account of what was done. And this may sound scary to you, but it's encouraging to me, because I know my God. I know what he's actually like. I'm not like the people that made the video. I'm not like the wicked servant. We had Jesus come and display perfectly what God is like. And that person, Jesus, is somebody that delights in seeing us use our talents, even when we fail. See, the wicked servant wasn't, wasn't rebuked for failure. He was rebuked for his attitude towards his master. You see the difference there? So many times we'll read that parable and think, he, he messed up, he failed. But no, no, no. He was punished because he rejected his master's rightful authority. Do you see that? See the difference there? So God wants you to risk for his kingdom. He wants you to do something. He delights in seeing you use your talents. And then one day, we will all stand before him and he'll ask for an account. And then this weird thing happens right at the end of the parable, right? He says, to he who has, more will be given. And he who has not, even what he does have will be taken away. But that is a description of heaven. See, here we, we have God, but we get more of him when we go to heaven. And if we don't have Jesus, we still have access to God, but at some point, even that will be taken away. So, as the band comes forward, my question for you is, who are you? Of all the people we talked about tonight, where do you stand? Are you like the Pharaoh, and you're wasting your life on your selfish ambitions? Not allowing your pride, your pride's not allowing you to submit to God? Are you like the wicked servant that's willfully ignorant and apathetic of where his gifts come from, and who his gif- the gift giver is? I'm assuming that since you're here in, you know, the summer, you're probably not like those two. But what I want you to do is I want you to be like the fat kid. Be like the fat kid, all right? We're all simple folk in Texas, right? We go to Angelo State University. We don't go to Harvard. We're just walking around with a couple loaves and some fish. But we can feed thousands with it if we will. If you dare to give God your all,